So our story, as I said, is one this morning that most of you know. You may not have realized it was from the Gospel of Luke. Or you may not have remembered all the details perfectly, but it's a story that you know if you've regularly attended worship, especially if you've attended around Thanksgiving. It's a classic children's story also if you went to Sunday school as a little kid. It's a classic children's story in Sunday school to help kids learn to be grateful. And, and to, to say, say thank, thank you. you. If, if, if you're, you're my age, and a lot of you even younger, younger you, you learned the magic words. What are they? And who, who taught them to you? you? Captain, Captain Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Right. Not, Not the, the gospel. gospel. Captain, Captain Kangaroo taught, taught you that please and thank you are the magic words. This, this passage wants us to learn that thank you is a magic word. I'm sure I preached this passage. Oh, there we go. My goodness. Now I'm a little loud here. Whew. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, sure I've preached this passage several times over the years because it regularly occurs in the lectionary. And I noticed that when I got my commentaries out and began to read and do study for this, this sermon, they were underlined already. I'd already underlined what I thought were important points. And, and, and there was that need every year for a Thanksgiving sermon, so about every other year you could come back to this passage because I know you'd be shocked to hear this, you probably don't remember my sermons from one year to the next. Not that you've heard me for a year, but you don't remember my sermons. Let me give you in on a secret. Often people on a Tuesday or Wednesday will say, about your sermon last week, and I'll go, I wonder what I preached last Sunday. I'm like you. I have to go back and take a look. But I did do that Thanksgiving sermon, and about every other year I probably took this passage. But it's interesting, and this is why we come back to reread the Scriptures again and again. When, when I read, I read the passage this time, I discovered something I had never noticed before. Luke, in that very first verse of this passage, says that it occurs on the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, this may not be the first time that Jesus has been on this border, or it may be an extension of the story from Luke 9.51 and the new verses after that. Luke 9.51 is one of the critical, it's not the theme, but it's one of the critical verses in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus said, and what it says about Jesus, he set his face like iron. Your Bible probably says resolutely, but the word literally means like iron to go to Jerusalem. And then in Luke 9.54, Jesus is set like iron, going to go to Jerusalem. They're come to the Samaria border, and the people won't welcome the disciples or Jesus, if you remember that story, uh, because he was headed to Jerusalem. Now, that's a, a battle of theology, John. You talked about what do we think about theology. We were having a theology battle here on the border uh, of Samaria and Galilee when Jesus was coming at that time. Uh, the, the, the battle is this, and, and we know the woman at the well in the Gospel of John has the same battle. Uh, uh, you say you should worship in Jerusalem, but we worship on this mount, and that mount is uh, Gerizim. And so we've got a battle going on, or a theological battle, where are you supposed to go to worship? It's a battle of being right. This is the place, not that one. It's a battle of purity. I'm a real Jew, you're a Samaritan, and it's a battle of treason. Because the Jews felt the Samaritans were treasonous. They had intermarried. And so you had this whole battle going on, and if you remember the story, James and John asked Jesus this wonderful, gracious word, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Now, that's what the disciples said to Jesus. They were feeling maybe a little full of themselves. I'm not sure James and John could have called down fire. Maybe they could have, but they were feeling full of themselves that day, and they were hoping more than just a little that Jesus would say yes, because we hate Samaritans, don't we? Yeah. 
And so call down fire, destroy them. If, or however these stories may relate, where we end up today is on this border again. You know, borders are interesting and strange places. Borders like this border are in between places. It's not Galilee, but it's not quite Samaria either. Gloria and Zadula wrote, the borderlands are more than a geographic, a geographic boundary. They are a psychic, social, and cultural terrain that we inhabit, and that it inhabits all of us. She writes that while borders are set up to define the places that are safe and unsafe, you know where you can go in the city, do you not? And where you shouldn't go. We know those kind of borders. Delmar used to be one of those borders, maybe still is. But, but, but it's, it's a place, the borders, we use borders to distinguish us from them. They're, They're different, we're us. A borderline is a vague and undetermined place. And it, it's really created by the emotional residue of an unnatural boundary. They're prohibited and they're forbidden are its inhabitants. Such is what we have here. A group of prohibited and forbidden lepers, some are Jewish, at least one is Samaritan, brought together by their common malady, their common suffering, their common isolation, and their economic deprivation. One of the common challenges of borders lands is it is hard to tell who's who. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the Jew? Who's the Samaritan? So strange and unusual communities are formed at borderlands. These, these, these people here, these, these lepers are existing. Living would be too strong of a word to use for their life in this in-between place. They have no acceptable place to be, and they're acceptable to no one. Luke probably has a special uh, feeling for this situation. Luke himself, a Gentile, not a Jew, would have understood the challenges that these ten men faced. Uh, it's much more than just being lepers. Perhaps he understands the psychological and physical impacts of being unaccepted, excluded, feeling less than. However we might see it, it is obvious they need help. So they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You notice they stand at a distance. So social distancing is not new, folks. You keep people safe from physical illness by being at a distance. And we know that lepers had to do that. Probably they were anywhere from 50 feet to 50 yards away if they were observing by what they were been told to do. So I wonder, what's going on here? Why would they yell at Jesus this way? Maybe they'd heard of Jesus when he passed through before. Uh, uh, maybe they'd heard of his kindness, his gentleness for those in need. Maybe they just thought they could get some alms. This guy seems to be the type of guy that would throw a few coins our way. So so maybe they seem that way. And maybe even hoping against hope, they think, we've heard this guy can do cures. Maybe they heard about Jesus healing lepers. It makes me wonder if there is a network of the unacceptable. You know, they're like us. You know, I had a professor in seminary who always said that in receiving the gospel, we're just one beggar when we share the gospel. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And that's, and that's what's, what's going, going on here. here. Maybe, Maybe there's, there's this network of unacceptable. unacceptable. However it comes about, they know that Jesus seems to have this ability about him, this kindness about him, and so they cry out. And what does Jesus do? Jesus tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. Now that's needed for acceptance back into society. It was the priest who pronounced them clean or unclean. It was the priest who told them, yeah, you're okay, so you can go back and see your family. Now it's interesting here, is it not 
We don't, we don't debate, debate which priests we're going to go see because we got a priest at Gerasim and we got a priest in Jerusalem and we've got our own synagogue and you've got yours. They don't start debating that. They decided maybe they'll just go to the priest and see if they're cured. I think that's interesting. Sometimes we let theology fall away when the serious issues of life arise, do we not? So they go. At some level, they're going as an act of confidence. It may not be faith, but it's at least confidence in Jesus. It's, it's worth, worth the effort. effort. Jesus, Jesus says, go. He didn't just, boop, boop, you're healed. He, he said, go. And, and so they, they have enough confidence in Jesus to go. And, and as they're, they're going, lo and behold, they're healed. And, and as, as this happens, happens we, we move into the heart of Luke's story. story. One, One person, a Samaritan at that, returns and praises God and throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks Jesus. This prompts Jesus to ask that series of rhetorical questions and prophetic questions, actually. Were not all ten healed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? His use of foreigner here, we're to understand from Luke, really foreshadows the movement of the gospel beyond Israel. Jesus is saying the gospel is for all. Luke wants us to understand that. All the men were healed. All received the mercy, the pity they had begged for. Yet it may be argued that only one had a life-changing experience, a deep life-changing experience. Jesus says to the Samaritan, your faith has made you well. Now that's an interesting word, that word well. It's actually sozo. And sozo is, is, is the Greek word for saved. So Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Made you whole, the, the word sozo, the idea of salvation, carries the idea of wholeness to you. It's not a, here's your ticket to heaven. It is this wholeness of who we are and how we exist and how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we live in community. And Jesus says to this foreigner, you're saved. You're made whole. It's interesting, is it not, that all were healed, but only one was made whole. Only one expressed faith through praise to God and thankfulness. And Jesus tells him, your faith has saved you. The others had an experience. They showed confidence in Jesus, but not faith that recognizes God and God's act of grace and God's act of mercy. They were physically healed, but they still did not have whole lives. They remained isolated from the source of, source of wholeness, the source of salvation. Somehow, recognition Thankfulness, gratitude, praise are core to faith. It is not just mentally believing something, intellectually believing something. It has all these other components to it. Ultimately, faith is not just acknowledging a source. Jesus, have pity on us. Faith is based on relationship or in relationship with God. Recognizing God with thanksgiving and praise. Francisco Garcia says, through a face-to-face experience with Jesus, where they are seen, heard, received, and sent, they obtain a kind of transformative and complete healing. Liberation, in a real sense, that seemed impossible beforehand. Whether blindness, illness, abject poverty, or criminality, walking with Jesus in the way provides an all-encompassing healing that reflects God's vision of wellness, and belonging for all of humanity. And what happens? The Samaritan, the foreigner, is sent on to live life. Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. It has made you whole. 
At the outset of the story, 10 men are stuck. They live in the in-between regions, in a no-person's land of being socially, religiously, and physically unclean. By the end of the story, all are made well physically. But one has something more. He has seen Jesus, recognized his blessing, and rejoiced in it, and changed his course of action and behavior. His life is changed in ways beyond imagination. And because he sees what has happened, the leper is not just healed, but is made whole, restored, drawn back into relationship with God and with humanity. In all these ways, he has been to choose a single word, saved. We might consider the parts of us that are stuck in the borderlands, the borderlands of ourselves that we find inside ourselves, where we may least want to be seen, but most need to be touched. Jesus is not afraid of borderlands. He does not mind meeting us in those places. He will meet you in the places that you least want to be seen in your life. And it may be that if we can recognize him there, we will find in our deepest selves a new outpouring of the grateful love that makes us well, that makes us whole. This is possible because Jesus is the ultimate border crosser. He models for us a ministry that continuously shifts the focus away from the people and places that are typically held as sacred and worthy and reframes the margin as places where God shows up in our lives in healing and liberating power. May we recognize the many ways that God makes us whole. The many ways that God is willing to make us whole. And may in our beings, in our deepest places, that we would rather not be seen. May those places see Jesus and erupt in faith, in praise, and thankfulness for God's touch. And may we be so liberated by God's touch that we rise and go into the borderlands to tell others the story of God's love. Amen.